0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and today I'm joined by David and Brady. We're going to talk a little bit about some Georgia State football action, or more specifically the lack thereof this past weekend as Georgia State versus Charlotte was called off due to some uh, interesting Things surrounding the COVID testing uh, procedures. It ended up being false positives, and out of an abundance of caution, Georgia State called off the game. But it turned out they could have, in fact, played it anyway. Gentlemen, I know we have some thoughts about this. Uh, Take us in.
1: I was fine that they called it off, you know. Um, I think if you're going to try to play during this crazy year, then... You know, there's never an opportunity, there's never a time cautious is a bad thing. You know, I'm not going to sit there and fault Georgia State for, you know, whatever it is that they did. I saw that it was human error and I don't know what that person saw or read or, you know, what the circumstances are. But if somebody believed that they were going to put their student athletes in jeopardy and they had an opportunity to stop that, I'm not going to say that that's a bad thing.
2: Yeah, I agree. Definitely agree. Uh, it's just kind of in the 2020 season terms and conditions uh, that you follow the procedures and you hope that the information you're receiving is accurate. I mean, it was frustrating just because we were ramping up for that game. And as me and David had talked a lot about last podcast, it was going to be an illuminating game. And so as fans, as podcaster, all of us collectively not to mention the coaching staff and the players lost that chance to see where the team was going to be at. And now it's another week of, I mean, uncertainty just for the sake of there not being action on the field, but it's what this season is leading to is, I mean, it's a, there's still a, a virus around. So if there's positives, you don't travel. And I think that, What made it even worse was just that how quickly it happened right before they were supposed to leave. And on his Sunbelt media availability this week, Coach Elliott was frustratingly sounding, was sounding unsurprisingly and fairly frustrated because it ended up being a thing where the results ended up being misread, misinterpreted in the lab. But it's what it is moving forward. I, the, the positive was obviously that in AD Charlie Cobb's statement was, well, we now have no question that we'll be ready to go for this Saturday. And so the season gets back on track. From now on, every week's a new week and, you know, same problems could come up a week from now. Obviously some Sunbelt teams have had positive tests, postponed games, but the longer season goes on, Once you hit the momentum of Sunbelt Conference play where everyone's playing each other every week, maybe start to carve out some normalcy and maybe add this game back on in December if there's a chance.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, I think that's one thing that people haven't really mentioned when they've talked about, you know, oh, it sucks that Georgia State couldn't play. The, The game still might be played. You know, it was postponed, not canceled. And if there's a free date in December, why not play it? You know, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're going to probably wait on that until thumb belt games definitely happen because those have to take precedence. Yeah, but absolutely. At that point, you know, end of the year might be a thing where neither team sees the point. But it'll be a team that Georgia State plays already has scheduled multiple times past this year anyway. Uh, Charlotte seems like it'll be a pretty... pretty... uh often rival it seems like and it feels like it's not a stretch to say if the game doesn't happen this year that it'll just immediately get put on in like 2025 whenever there's an opening and just yeah we'll make that game up and no problem so just for the right now it was a game that was going to tell us something and so in that respect annoying and in the semi-late notice of it and all but these are the decisions that have to be made in this season and this odd season specifically. And we move on. So in the lead up to this game, we did get some position change news. Uh, Jamil Muhammad,
0: the transfer from Vanderbilt has left the quarterback room and is going to be somewhere as a linebacker, although he's not currently on the depth chart. Yeah, this was
2: Jeff Schultz of the athletic had a article in the summer about Georgia State and their progression and their off season, and it was the first time where something I had seen specifically mentioned about they're thinking about moving Jamil Muhammad to linebacker because he's an athlete and they like his I, I, I don't know I mean instincts athleticism whatever and um, I didn't really think much of it at the time because it seemed like a real stretch that you're going to take your either starter or second string quarterback out of that when you've got only freshmen and especially now we've got COVID and McKeeley just came back from his heart condition that they thought he might have, that it seemed like, all right, this seems like something that might've been bandied around, but no, it's actually happened. Uh, He's changed on the official roster and uh, coach Elliott talked about a little again on his media availability and just said that they, wanted to see how he could progress a linebacker and that it doesn't sound like he, he is not on the depth chart and I don't know that he will play, but I don't know. Maybe we see him on special teams. It sounded like the defensive coaches had wanted him to switch for a little while and finally won. And so I guess there's obvious questions to follow about how close the quarterback battle was, if you're moving one guy from quarterback to linebacker, but I think it's a vote of confidence in quad and is a vote of confidence in McKelly, And that they might've just said, we like those two and we can use Jamil somewhere else for his career. Instead of having him just sit as a backup
1: at quarterback. Yeah, that's I've never seen a quarterback move to linebacker. So I'm probably as curious as anybody else is out there as to what a, linebacker Jamil Mohammed looks like um but i mean if that's that's the direction that the coaches think that he should take and if they're just you know throwing anything you know if they're just trying to see if this guy's an impact player for them on defense instead of kind of sitting behind quad and sure why not let it fly
2: yeah we'll see how that goes i guess my final thought is I I don't know just by reading the fact that he's not on the depth chart and just logically following that he just would have changed positions not that long ago. I don't know when we can really expect him out there on defense, especially because it's was it's a pretty deep and performing well linebacker core that played. I think it's a it's another body, and you can never have too much depth. Even at a position like Georgia State where they do have pretty decent linebacker depth already. So we'll see how many games down the road this is that we actually see him in action on defense. Whether it's just uh he's gonna practice this year at it, play with like the second or third team, whatever, play the scout team, and then next year hits the ground running as a factor. There's a starter spot going to be open inside linebacker, which is sounding like where he's going to land um, with Trajan graduating. And so we'll just have to see how that goes.
1: What if he comes out and is like actually a dude though? That I mean, that's I don't I don't think they exciting. would have made the
2: move if they didn't think that was possible. I think they see something that they like and that they think can translate to defense and that, I mean, theoretically, if you got a guy who's got quarterback speed coming at you from the linebacking core, that's if he can put together the tackling techniques and everything, learn the scheme, get the right positioning down, it, that's what you want. You want to be able to have a guy who can chase down. And we know especially that that is the trait on defense that Nate Fuque likes is getting speed. He likes speed. And that's sometimes people around, you know, fans and everything are, Unhappy with the size of the team because the the speed is so emphasized, but it'd be another case of that. I mean, if the guy was going to run your option offense even a little bit, um, but now he's going to be a linebacker, that's obviously another guy that's going to add some more speed to the equation.
0: So moving on into a little bit of a Sunbelt football recap action right here. Uh, it was kind of a mixed week uh, for the Sunbelt. Notably, of course, Georgia State-Charlotte being canceled or postponed, rather. We'll see if that game ends up being played this year or not. Uh, Tulsa at Arkansas State was also postponed. And then the games that were played were really just all over the place you had uab thrashing south alabama 42 to 10 in favor of the blazers troy went up to utah to face byu and got thrashed themselves 48 to 7 louisiana i'm sorry number 19 louisiana beat georgia southern on a ridiculous 53 yard field goal as time expired uh, 20 to 18 and then immediately dropped out of the rankings as the Big Ten and the Pac-12 became eligible for the AP poll again. App State beat Campbell fifty-two to twenty-one, and UTEP, the Miners, defeated UL Monroe thirty-one to six, and then finally Boston College defeats Texas State twenty-four to twenty-one, in what was up until the fourth quarter a pretty close game. Gentlemen, our thoughts?
2: Yeah, Texas State was leading that one for most of it, and it was a Boston College comeback, and it feels like. Just starting there, because that was the last one you mentioned, Texas State's a team that's p- putting together the pieces, even though it hasn't translated to wins yet. Uh, they played UTSA really close and went to, I think, several overtimes a couple of weeks back. And now going toe-to-toe with an ACC, any ACC team with the talent they're able to recruit, going on the road and performing against them is something. And, and you want the win, but... I started out this year having a lot of questions about the teams that were not named Louisiana in the West. And I guess those persist to a certain degree, but it's starting to feel like Texas state has something I'm less and less convinced every week about ULM and they keep having injuries or players leaving and defensive coordinator getting fired right before the season. And so that seems like a real um, problem situation for them. And South Alabama, the start of the year, getting a coach fired, and now they seem like they're hitting some stumbling blocks That after they had a lead on Tulane and blew that. So I'm not really sure what's happening there. Troy, I still don't really know much about, but I do know BYU is pretty good. I think they'd probably be ranked no matter what pandemic or not, all the different teams playing or not, because they've got a lot of talent. So I don't think that that score tells me much of anything. And uh, we all watched the Louisiana kicker with bated breath. And I think not a lot of people expected the guy who is two for six on field goals coming into the game to drill a 53 yarder was just no doubt off the leg. And Louisiana was able to escape and preserve their
1: ranking, but for a few hours. I I do want to mention something about that game because Billy Napier had a phenomenal display of head coaching in and it's definitely why the Cajuns ended up winning with about 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Louisiana had a fourth and goal on the Southern eight. Now Nate Snyder had already missed the kick today and was, I believe he was one for seven or one for five on the season. Um, The Cajuns kicking woes were very, very well known at that point. But Nate Snyder, sorry, Billy Napier decided, all right, I'm going to let Nate kick. It was a 25-yard field goal over on the right hash, so not necessarily an easy thing, but you just, you don't want to push those. Snyder hits it. I don't think Nate Snyder hits that 53-yard field goal at the end of the game to win it. He doesn't just watch that simple 25-yard field goal go through.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's something to be said about that. I mean, that was just a wild game at the end. Southern had a touchdown Taylor made and the tight end was reaching out for the end zone and just lost control and fumbled it out back to the end zone for a touchback. It would have tied the game at 17 and instead Louisiana got the ball, but then Georgia Southern went on a real two minute drill and just kind of marched down the field and got a touchdown for real and then got a two point conversion to go up by one under a minute to go, And it just felt, man, this upset's about to happen. And then the kick came up. And like I said, I mean, as just with the the talk on social media, when I, as I was watching, there was so much like, oh, this one's over. There's no ways making that that. I started to be like, well, it's going to happen because everyone is just so convinced it isn't going to happen and vocally convinced it's not going to happen. But I mean, it, college kickers on normal kicks are just such a question mark. So, dude stepping up and hitting a fifty-three yarder—that's just you can't say enough about
1: that. That's what sports are for. Yeah, I mean that's why we watch them. I—I'll I'll be honest. I did not think he was going to hit it. Your logic or superstition, whatever you want to call it, makes a ton of sense to me. Don't call but. it logic. It is not. Logical. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did not think he was going to hit it. I definitely thought that Southern winning at that point was a foregone conclusion. I thought that last drive that Louisiana had was a little bit, you know, they should have tried to get in the end zone, at least make it a little bit closer for the kid. But man, what a kick. What a kick.
2: And I guess this is the point where we can shout out Jordan, who among us was the only one who was ready to say, "Yes, Louisiana was going to get dropped from the top twenty-five, even though they won." Pessimism pays off. <laughs> I mean, I don't know every like five say. months. I, I they were three and zero. Like say Oregon, Oregon's good top twenty-five team for sure. Recruit well play well they're a team that if the season were normal they would have started top 25 and probably been there until they lost in the middle of conference play like pac-12 teams always do but they haven't played a game yet i just think it's outrageous that teams who don't have any record who haven't played anyone even if it's a foregone conclusion they're going to be a top 25 team get into the top 25 when that game hasn't played yet and the other team has played three games and No, it does show just the work that the G5 conferences have to do to garner the accolades that they may deserve. And I just. Aside from losing to a top 25 team, making Georgia State look good, if it has to be a loss, um, taking the Georgia State part out and just the general non-power team part that we also have to deal with covering Georgia State, it just is just frustrating and that's just what it is. Louisiana's not ranked Louisiana is not ranked anymore.
1: Yeah, I hope they can win this weekend back there. Um they did get votes, so it's not like the coaches didn't at least acknowledge their presence. Um they're actually off this week, so they can't get back there this week. But next week, beat App State for the first time in a while and you'll do it. Yeah, we'll see. I, I mean I know. was I should say okay. we we've got
2: some days before that game, but definitely going to be Making sure I can watch Louisiana App State it will be the first, like, real showdown of the Sun Belt conference season so it's that time
0: again panther football at center park stadium Uh, by all indications the team will be healthy safe good to go for a noon kickoff on espnu against the east carolina pirates first ever meeting between the two teams georgia state as of the time of recording this podcast was a two-point favorite in vegas
2: that line jumped i think it started at seven georgia state That that surprises me, just because I hadn't checked it since it was at seven, and you know that's jotty work by me. But I was a little bit hesitant to say Georgia State's a touchdown favorite, just because we're going to dabble in talk about this game, and it's going to sound similar, at least from my point of view, as the Charlotte talk, because it's kind of the same thing where we saw what Georgia State did well, we saw where they struggled, and it's going to be about putting that together. And I think if Georgia State can tighten up some past connections that were missing maybe in the first game and get a couple of those deeper throws that weren't landing against Louisiana while continuing to run the ball well and continuing to attack the other team in the run defense. It should be a Georgia State win, a home win, and that's just where we're at. It's the same thing as last week, which is why I led with the talk about the Charlotte game being canceled as a disappointed as a disappointment because we might've had a little more certainty coming into this game, seeing how Georgia state played against Charlotte.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, East Carolina doesn't have a ton of film. Unfortunately there, they've had some COVID choose their themselves and they had the unfortunate task of hosting UCF, which I mean, UCF is still in that upper echelon of the G five. So hats off to East Carolina for playing 60 minutes of football against them. Um, But there was one thing that was pretty apparent in that game. And that's just that UCF was finding holes in that defense, throwing the ball. Um, And that's definitely something that quad and, you know, the Georgia state receivers, they're going to need to be on the same page this week. Um, I, I do agree with your sentiments. I think running the ball is going to be more important. Obviously, you know, you want to establish the run and coach speak coach speak, but I do think the opportunity is there for Georgia state to also kind of build some really nice chemistry passing the ball. And, you know, that's, that's, that type of stuff is important. We, you know, to win the game, you might need to run the ball, but if quad airs it out, you know, 30, 40 yards and Cornelius McCoy is, you know, underneath it, that type of, that builds chemistry, that builds comfortability. And if this is the type of game where that can happen, you obviously want to see it.
2: Yeah, on the passing for UCF, I mean, again, we should say the other reason for lack of clarity is that UCF is very good. And so the fact that they... Handily beat ECU 5128 might just be about how good UCF is. Uh, but on the passing, they threw for 408 yards. It was on 32 attempts or completions. And that works out to an average of 12.8 per completion, which is pretty good. But it tells me, at least to some degree, it wasn't even just big plays. It was also just they were getting chunk by chunk by chunk by chunk. And obviously, I talked last time about the need to have some explosive plays, but if it's a situation where you're getting first downs every time you throw because finding a hole in a zone or you're just winning on your cornerback, whatever it is, you'd still take that. Uh, I guess the number of times quad throws will probably be a little dependent on the time of possession. Um, We'll see. I still, until Georgia State isn't, looking to be run first under brad glenn i won't i will continue to expect that to be the case but if it's a case where they're throwing less times but more connections more completions between their receivers and you're moving the chains a little bit more um that that is the the next step what whether that manifests yet in the big plays, you, you think that those will come, the more completions you're able to have and the more time you're able to stay on the field. Um, I, th- I think that that is just the key is just getting that consistency in the passing game. And from there, if those lead to big plays, that's great. If not, you're just staying on the field, you're keeping your defense off. The last thing that can happen is another quarter-long stretch or however long it ended up being against Louisiana where the offense is not putting drives together and leaving the defense out because the defense played well against Louisiana and just got burned by having to be on the field in the middle two quarters a lot more and it just started
1: to pile up. And One thing that Georgia State can do this week um, to prevent that and get off the field is take advantage of some sloppy ECU play. I mean, they the ball on the ground against UCF four times and some of it was UCF being good like you said but also some of it is just you got to take care of the rock like that's that's just how the game of football works so if Georgia State's able to get some turnovers going then that's gonna go a long way and help them yeah the last
2: thing uh that I've got for this game is just it's too small of a sample size for this to be like, oh, ECU is good on third downs, but they were nine of eighteen in that game. And Georgia State on defense was very good on third downs. And so I think that the the thing the defense needs to do is continue that. I, they they got hit by some big plays late in the game, but they were, by and large, getting off the field. And I think that 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 is also, the key is you're continuing to be good on third downs. I mean, you can give up yardage between the 30s, but it, if all it is is maybe one first down or a three and out and you're, you're forcing the punt, you're getting your offense back on the field. That's what you got to do or get the fumbles, like David said, and th- that's obviously objective one.
0: All right. So before we get you guys out of here this week, we did have a question from John on Twitter wants to know what's your starting five this year. So this is of course, talking about men's basketball, gentlemen, who you got.
1: It's been a while since I've thought about basketball, Um, but I'm excited for the season. Uh, So I can answer this one pretty easily, I guess, Um, just based off of what we saw last year and kind of who we think or who I think anyway, will be where Coach Lanier wants to go early. Um, Obviously, Kane Williams and Justin Roberts. Um, I don't know that that could ever move, just given the talent that those two have. Um, I do think Corey Allen will probably start the year as a starter. Um, I did like what I saw out of him coming off the bench later in the year, and depending on size and effectiveness, maybe Coach Lanier will want to move. But for now, I think you give the nod to Corey. Um, then for the forward positions, I have Jalen Thomas and Alil Sosame starting. Um, really excited about Sosame. Um, but yeah, that's that's my starting five.
2: Uh, so I guess before I give mine, I'll mention the news we got this week that Ryan Boyce, who had transferred in from Memphis, has been given eligibility from the start of the year. Uh, There is a question about whether he was going to be having to wait until the spring semester to actually be able to play. But the NCAA has said he's got full eligibility from the start of the year. So he's another wing type to add to what should be a pretty deep team. And with that said, I also am going to start with Kane and Justin in the backcourt. Follows along logically. Um, I'm glad that we didn't plan this at all, but we have different answers. Um, I don't think you can take Nelson Phillips out of the starting lineup after the end of the year. And I think I am buying the hype that we've heard about Jojo Toppin coming in and being a defensive stopper type. His goal being to be the Sunbelt defensive player of the year. And I think that that'll manifest in getting him a starting spot. And then I'm with you on Susemi. I think that we've got a chance to see him sort of set the tone for what Coach Lanier wants. And that's not to say that I don't also expect continued growth from Jalen Thomas and Joe Jones behind him, but I think that he's a guy who's played at Cincinnati. He's been in Mick Cronin's system. And so I think that he's possibly going to be what Coach Lanier's looking for, post-defense, getting rebounds. And also, and not for nothing, he's wearing number one. So I'm a fan of
1: that. We can like get into it, you know, a little bit later down the road. But I, you kind of mentioned a lot of guys that I do think will get some significant playing time this year, um, and that is to say, I really like Georgia State's depth. Yeah, going to be I, a much bigger factor this year than it was last year.
2: I, I guess I just I think that what you get with Nelson with the defense, the the setting the tone. Isn't necessarily as prevalent with a guy like Corey. And Nelson showed last year he can set his feet and put up a three whenever he's open, which is where Corey is the strongest with a perimeter shooter. And I think, you know, on balance, I think Corey is a better perimeter shooter because he's probably going to be the early favorite to lead the team in threes again. Very talented guy. And I think that he found something working from the bench and coming in as sort of the six man type. But it's definitely going to be a battle, I think. I think a lot of guys are going to want that starter spot, and I think that very interested to see where the team goes in year two. Obviously, it was a disappointing end to the year, kind of petered out towards the end, um, but I think that with Phillips and Toppin, Coach Lanier's going to be able to kind of set the defensive tone he's looking for, and I think that's why I think that tandem is just that together that they can provide that this is what we want to do on defense to kind of set where everything's at.
0: So thanks John for the question as always, it's appreciated. You guys are welcome to ask us anything, anytime, and hopefully we'll remember to answer it on the podcast. But before we actually leave uh, this week, I did want to give a shout out to both the men's and women's soccer teams that have been playing at center park stadium for the past couple games. The women defeated Georgia Southern on Sunday one to zero in center park stadium and the men actually just now as of the time i'm saying this have defeated uh, uab in center park stadium 4-0 that game just ended so congrats to both of those teams lots of improvement from what we've seen in both squads and we'll see where the rest of the season goes from there but that's all we got for this week as always thanks for interacting with us and hopefully we will see you guys next week with some good football news see ya The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as @ThursdayNight or via email at ThursdayNight@gmail.com. At